I want you to turn this evening to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, please, and we'll read the opening seven verses. I'd also like to add my word of thanks to all who contributed uh, to the review of the year. Uh, so leaders and all do continue to take your photos and uh, capture those memories even for the years to come. It's nice to look back and you do see changes and individuals who maybe are no longer with us, uh, maybe not in those photos in particular, uh, but uh, through the years, it does bring a change to the hairline, but also to uh, the people who are involved in the work of the Lord. And it's good to see uh, what the Lord has even done in the year gone past. So Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll read the opening seven verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer. So let's hear the word of our God. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's take a moment, please, and let's look to the Lord to bless us even as we gather around his truth. So let's unite in prayer. Eternal God and gracious Father, we do thank and praise thee for the review of the year, for bringing to our mind and remembrance again all that thou hast done for us and all the way that thou hast led us. We thank the Lord for every endeavor in the gospel, every outreach ministry, Lord, every ministry to build up thy dear saints, and to bring them underneath the sound and the influence of the Word of God. We thank the Lord for thy dear people. We see all who have put their shoulder to the wheel, as it were. And Lord, we thank thee for them, each and every one, labored for thee. Labored, O God, to see thy name glorified and exalted in the midst of a people. And Lord, now as we come to gather round the Word, we, we look to thee once again. We ask for thy help and thy grace. I pray, O God, that Thou would wash me in the precious blood and fill me full of Thy Spirit. Help me, O God, to speak as Thou would have me to speak. And may this come, O God, as a word in season to Thy people's heart, whether they're in the building or those who are watching online. We pray, Heavenly Father, that Thou would bless the Word. Lord, the people have come to hear what Thou hast to say, not what a preacher would say. Lord, they need a word from Thee. And I pray that thou would possess this earthen and this weak vessel. And Lord, use me for the glory and the honor of thy glorious name. Do us good, Lord, and shut us in with thyself. 
We ask all this in the Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. I don't know if anyone noticed, but the hymns we sang tonight were written by the same man, William O. Cushing. Now, he was born on the 31st of December, 1823, in Massachusetts, and that's 99 years ago today. He was born into a home, and both his parents were Unitarians, and he was brought up in those beliefs until he began to read the Bible for himself in his teenage years and became convinced of the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He left that group of Unitarians and he he joined himself to a local Christian church and then later he joined to a Wesleyan Methodist uh, chapel. In his late teens, as he read and he studied the scripture, he became convinced of his call of God to the ministry. And after training, he accepted his first call to his first pastorate at Searsbury in New York. While he was there, he married his wife, Miss Rena Proper. Now, the deep grief that he experienced in his life from the passing of his wife had caused his own health to deteriorate quite quickly, and it brought upon him the onset of a creeping paralysis in his throat and his vocal cords, and it left him unable to speak. Therefore, he had to retire from the ministry, but he still wanted to serve the Lord and his master. And so he prayed, Lord, still give me something to do for thee. And the task that the Lord gave him was to write hymns, over 300 of them, and many of them are still sung by the Christian church today. The hymns we sang, they both refer to a place of safety and refuge for the believer, the rock which is higher than I, and the shadow of the Lord's wings. William Cushing, he wrote out of his own personal experiences. And you know, these are places which many of us have resorted to over the year that has gone by. And they are places to which we will most certainly find ourselves fleeing in the days that lie before us. And the reason being is life, this life, this world, our pilgrimage is filled with trouble and trial. Now the Word of God is filled with many such wonderful promises for those times. And those well-known words that we have read tonight, well, they are uh, contained, or they do contain uh, some of those promises. Now, this chapter, Isaiah 43, is evidently a continuation of the previous chapters. Though God has punished the nation of Israel and showed them His displeasure, they have not learned. As we read in the final two verses there of chapter 42, and we might think that God would utterly abandon and destroy such a nation, but no, the next two words in chapter 43, but now, reveal to us that he will have and does have mercy on them and that he will deliver them. Matthew Henry made the comment, God's goodness takes occasion from man's badness to appear so much more the illustrious for where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God had a purpose for them For through them the Redeemer must come, and therefore he must, and he did, deliver them. The Lord comforts his own people under their their afflictions with many precious promises in this chapter. In verse 1, we have one of the great fear knots of the Bible. And tonight I want us to consider the opening three verses under the heading, Promises for Life's Pathway. So promises... For life's pathway. The first thing I want us to think about this evening is the people addressed. The people to whom 
these promises are given. Well, it's quite evident who the speaker is in these verses. It is the Lord, Isaiah. He is the human instrument through which the Lord communicated his message to these particular people. That's a wonder in itself that God would make himself known to man and that God would speak with man who had rebelled against him. So the Lord, here he's coming in grace to speak to a particular people. Now in the verse we see, verse 1, that the Lord addresses Jacob and Israel. But we are not to think that this is a message only for Isaac's son Jacob, who had lived many years before, nor was it a message simply for national Israel. It was, it was that, but it also is a message for all God's people. We're told in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Galatians 3, chapter 7, we also read, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So here is a message for you, believer. God is addressing you tonight. You are a, a Jew in that true sense. You have the circumcision of the heart. You are a child of Abraham, a child of faith. Yes, there is a definite sense in which these words, uh, they have an ear contextual application to the people of Isaiah's day, but they reach across the seas and the lands and down through the ages to us tonight, to God's people tonight. God has a very direct message to you, you who are a child of faith. Now listen to how God describes and identifies those whom he addresses, how he speaks of you. He says, he says at the end of verse 1, Thou art mine. They belong to him. And you, child of God, you are the Lord's. And you know, sometimes that's all you want to know as a Christian. Sometimes that's all you need to hear. The Lord saying to you, you're mine. You're my own. You know, that is the softest pillow upon which any child of God can lay their head down to sleep at night. Knowing that you are the Lord's. Now this verse tells us that we are the Lord's in a threefold sense. Thou art mine. We are firstly His by creation. Look what it says. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. I belong to the Lord because he made me. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Genesis 1 verse 26. It clearly reveals that God is our creator. He made man in his own image and after his likeness he he gave us life. He formed us in our mother's womb. He knows about our, our frame, our constitution. He knows our limitations. He remembers that you and I are but dust. The Son of God himself was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He became man and therefore he's not ignorant to the things that you and I have to face physically and mentally in this life. Therefore, he understands those whom he is addressing. You are his because 
He has created you. You are the Lord's by creation. But secondly, we're also His by redemption. Because He says there, continuing on, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. Christ has purchased me. Christ has purchased you. He has paid the price that bought my liberty. He has set me free from the slave market of sin and brought me out from under the heel of Satan. And what a price was paid for my redemption. You and I were told in the New Testament, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And that price, of course, is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. God is addressing those who are precious to Him. He has bought them with a price. In Isaiah 63, in the verse 9, we read that it was in His love and in His pity He redeemed His people. You're so precious to the Lord. So much so that it cost the blood of a son to redeem you. We are his by creation. We are his by redemption. But thirdly, we're also his by election. By election. Now this possession, it precedes the other two. This takes us back beyond our redemption when it was applied to us. It takes us back beyond creation. It takes us back into the eternal counsels of God when a people were given unto Christ before the foundation of the world. You say, well, where do I get that in verse 1? How can you say we are His by election from verse 1? Well, it tells us there, I have called thee by name. Who are the called? Well, we're told in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, that it's those who are foreknown and those who are predestinated. Those who have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Lord himself, ye have not, he said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Yes, God, he does give out that general call But the effectual call of his elect, of his own, it's personal. He says here, I have called thee by name. And do you know what it was like the night that the Lord saved you? The night that the Lord brought you unto himself? It was a very personal, it was a very definite call. The Lord was speaking particularly to you. He knows your name. He knows all about you. He has an intimate knowledge of you. And has an intimate, intimate interest in us. So the Lord has a word for his people. For those who belong to him by creation, by redemption, and by election, the people addressed. That's who the Lord is speaking to. That's who you are. Created, redeemed, and elected. But secondly tonight, notice with me the pathway appointed. There's the people addressed, but there's the pathway appointed. Now I'm going to redact verse 2 a little for this point. Allow me to read it like this. When thou passest through the waters and through the rivers, when thou walkest through the fire. Nowhere in Scripture and experience do we find that the Christian life is easy or self-indulgent. And from these verses in Isaiah 43, we learn that the pathway that God has appointed is sometimes through the fire and through the water. 
As the hymn writer put it, it is not an easy road that we are traveling to heaven and many are the thorns are the way, on the way. You know, we might imagine that sometimes that those who are his own, those who are the Lord's by creation and redemption and election, those that are so precious to him, well, somehow they're going to be so highly favored that, well, they're going to escape trial and testing. As well as those other things that are common to all men. But this is not the case. It is inevitable that we will encounter these things at one time or another because, because of the world we live in, because of our old nature, because of our need of discipline, because we need to be weaned away from this world, the Lord has told us clearly that the fiery trial and the watery test will traverse our pathway as we journey from time to eternity. Think of the difficult journey of the children of Israel and what they had to undertake as they left Egypt and traveled to the promised land, albeit, yes, we can say, because of their disobedience. And what did the Lord say about their pathway? Deuteronomy chapter 8, turn over there. It was actually up on the screen tonight, the opening Verse Deuteronomy chapter 8. And the Lord says to these people, reminds them of the pathway they had to walk. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. And he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered. There's affliction. He suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. They were to remember not only a pathway and all the difficulties that they, they faced, but the purpose for which they were led that way. In the New Testament, there, there's also many portions that speak of the difficulties that we're going to have to face that lie between us and heaven. In the world, ye shall have tribulation. There is a pathway. But we're also reminded of the purpose in Romans chapter 5. For tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope. It maketh not ashamed. Now in verse 2, back in... Isaiah chapter 43, we read of some things about the pathway along which we travel. Some things about this pathway. We must understand that it's divinely ordered and a divinely ordained pathway. There is nothing that happens by chance or accident. It cannot be the case since God is revealed in Scripture as sovereign, as the one who brings to pass whatsoever his hand and his counsel determined before to be done. Our sovereign Lord, the one who knows the, the end from the beginning, he's speaking to his people and as he looks ahead with his foreknowledge and his determinant counsel, he says, when? He says, when? He sees it down the road because he is sovereign, he is planted, when? Not if, but when thou passest through the waters and the rivers, when thou walkest through the fire. Nothing takes the Lord by surprise. A psalmist, 
said in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You know, many things take us by surprise, but not him. And it's good to have one with us along life's pathway who knows the way. It was Job who said, he knoweth the way that I take. The Apostle Paul, he spoke about running the race that was set before him, before us. And the root of that word set, it has the idea of appointed. God has ordered and ordained that pathway. He foresees in his foreknowledge when I, he knows what we have walked through this year. He knows already what we will walk through in this year. And this is something we must understand about this appointed pathway. But something else about this pathway, it's rough. And it's testing is varied. You know, these are not pleasant experiences that this verse speaks of here. We observe from time to time on the news the devastating effects of water and floods or, or fires and forest fires, the devastation it can bring. And you know, there are depths of waters in which we can feel overwhelmed. Maybe that is a pathway that you have had to walk this past year. I know for some it has been the case. You have been in the depths of sorrow. You felt overwhelmed. At times there was, it seemed as if there was no footing for your feet. There's all there's ever known the sweeping torrents of a river, river. A river of trouble that, well, it came upon them suddenly like a flash flood. And there was no warning. And it almost swept you away in despair. Some of you have faced pain, the pain of a fiery trial of some bodily or mental or spiritual affliction. These things have come across your pathway. They're not easy to face. We may pass through the fire, but not through the waters. We may pass through the waters, but not through the fire. But there's going to be rough ground. To cover on our journey to heaven. I encourage you to read the story of Annie Johnson Flint. She was a woman who faced many waters, many fires, many rivers. She wrote the words of, He giveth more grace. But she also wrote another song entitled, What God Hath Promised. And it goes like this. God hath not promised skies always blue. Flower-strewn pathways all our life through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide, never a mountain, rocky and steep, never a river, turbid and deep. The chorus, it goes like this. But God hath promised. Strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, 
and undying love. And that brings me to my last point, what the Lord has promised. We have considered the people addressed, the pathway appointed, finally the promised announced. Let's fill in the blanks now of verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, listen to the emphasis, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. God here announces precious promises to his precious people. God never breaks his word. Numbers 23 verse 19 gives us the truth concerning that. God is not a man that he should lie, neither a son of man that he should repent. He hath said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Joshua 21, verse 45. Well, it gives us a testimony. Numbers 23, verse 19, gives us the principle, the truth. But Joshua 21, 45, gives us the testimony to that truth, their field. Not aught of any good thing which the Lord hath spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. God keeps his promise. What does God promise for life's pathway? Well, firstly, God promises the security of his people. See, when God says, fear not to those who are his by creation, redemption, and election, we're not to think that he's going to loss or lose any of those who cost him so much and are so precious to him. The Lord Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, said to his father, those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. It's not possible that you and I as redeemed individuals, it's not possible that us as redeemed and chosen individuals can be lost. We are secure. We are his. It would be a complete denial of the cross work of Jesus Christ. It would suggest that what Christ has done was not sufficient, that it was not satisfactory. We are a secure people. We are a people on which his eye is ever upon. Therefore, we cannot be lost. You know, you only lose something when it's out of your eyesight. But you and I were under and ever under his superintendence. His eye is upon the righteous. God promises the security of his people. God promises, secondly, the constancy of his presence. Look at verse 2. When these things happen, what? He says, I will be with thee. He won't abandon us in the hard times. Read the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. What do we read there in the fiery furnace? They were literally going through the fire. Did these young men lean on this promise? Did they claim the promise? I don't know. I'm sure they did. And they leant on it. And what do we read there? There was one with them in the fire. Like unto the Son of God. David could say, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. And God still says to his people today. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The promise of God being with his people. At all times brings with it a multitude of comforting thought. For we have one a pillar to lean on. 
We have a friend to fellowship with. We have a, a, a guide, an infallible guide to follow, etc. All those thoughts when we have the Savior with us. Thirdly, we also have the promise of the adequacy of His protection. There's the security of His people, the constancy of His presence, the adequacy of His protection. Look at verse 2 again. When? What will happen? They shall not overflow thee. Thou shall not be burned. Neither shall a flame kindle upon thee. Although the situation may be de desperate, the Lord will not let us be overwhelmed. We have the promise of the sufficiency of His grace. We heard about that in the conference. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and the verse 9. 12 and the verse 9. And we also have the promise of a way of escape. And a way or, or a limitation to the trial. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. You know when we feel our foot slipping. He will bear us up. He will. Claim the promise of His protection. His protection from sinking down into the depths of doubt and despair, child of God. Take His word back to Him. Say, Lord, yes, I know you've appointed this pathway. There's nothing I can do about it. This is deep water. This is a river of torrent. And it's going to sweep me away. This is a fiery affliction. But Lord, you have promised that I will not be overwhelmed. That this will not overflow me. And this will not consume me. I feel like it is. I feel like I'm going down into the depths. Lord, you have promised. Take it back to him. Claim the promise, child of God. Fourthly, he promises the fulfillment of his purpose. I've already pointed out that God has his purpose in everything that happens to his children he will bring his people, as it tells us here. He will bring us through the trial. He will not leave us in it. Turn to Psalm 66, please. Psalm 66, as we, we're drawing to a close here. Psalm 66 and the verse 10. Go back to verse 9. Speaking of the Lord, he who holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went, listen, we went through fire and through water. But thou broughtest out into a wealthy Place. I only read part of Job's great words. He knoweth the way that I take, but he goes on to say, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When we're brought through the trial, when we're carried through the trial, for at times that's what happens. We don't have strength, we shall be enriched. In our knowledge of him. We shall be refined. And we shall be sanctified. As I conclude. See how the promises are sealed. In verse 3. 
See how they're sealed. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. There is, as it were, the stamp and signature of the guarantor. One who is both willing and able to fulfill what he has promised. And you know, that's what really makes the promise the one who makes it. These are not empty words, believer. Pray them over to thy God through thy Savior. What a wonderful little word that possessive determiner is, thy. He's thy God. He is thy Savior. He will make good on his promises as you walk life's pathway. Why? You're his. You're his. His by creation. His by redemption. His by election. You're precious. You're precious to Him. And we can lean upon these wonderful promises as we walk the pathway of life. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts for His own name's sake. We'll just have a word of prayer and then we'll sing another hymn before the Reverend Greer comes to make some announcements. Let's just have prayer. Loving God and gracious Father, we bow before Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank Thee for these well-known words so familiar to us and yet so rich in their blessing. Lord, Thou knowest that many of Thy dear children have walked a rough and a testing pathway in the year gone by. Lord, there's been deep waters. There's been fast-flowing rivers. There's been the fiery trial. Lord, I pray that they would know these promises made good to them. Lord, that they would be assured of thy presence, that thou would bear them up, O God, that thou would fulfill thy purpose in their life. Draw near to thy children. O Lord, we confess that as we stand at the brink of a new year, there's none of us know what lies upon the pathway. But we do thank thee for the words of Job. He knoweth the way that I take. There is a course. There is a race that is set before us. Help us to run that race with patience and in a manner that glorifies Thee. Bless us, Heavenly Father, and do us good. Even, Lord, as we seek to praise Thy name now, and then in a moment go to the time of prayer. Tarry with us, we ask of Thee. For this I pray in the Saviour's precious and lovely name. Amen.